How's my, uh, my, how's my wonderful audio this morning? It is it is sounding a little bit distorted again. Really? Yeah, do you have like the microphone in your mouth or something? <laughs> After our experience with not telling you which side of the microphone to talk into, I've realised I need to take nothing for granted here. Well, yeah, that's fair, I think. Uh, no, not really. Is it uh, still bad? Yeah, no, that sounds fine now. No. Okay. It's, it's, it's your energetic hello when you first uh, join the call. Maybe that's that's what it is. Let's <laughs> calm it down a bit. He's just so excited to talk to me. I understand. I understand. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's the highlight bad. of your week and everything. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> How has your week been? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Uh, I decided that uh, because it's obviously got dark here in the UK now early, because mm-hmm. the clock's gone back, so about 4pm, 4.30, something like that, it's dark. So I thought, no, this, I'm not getting much exercise, and now I need to get out in the morning, like 7am, go for a walk every day. Blimey. Um, and, and go and do that, because I don't really get time during the day. And then by the time I finish work, it's just, uh, you know, obviously black pitch black pitch around black, here yeah, basically yeah. so yeah sort it out and I thought, rather than uh, wearing a sort of a headlight um looking like a bit of a dog i thought i'd go in the morning so i did that all week all good and then yesterday i thought uh, so yesterday was saturday and i thought yeah i'll uh, i'll go out i won't go out early because it's weekend you know have a little bit of time off it's all fine go for a walk. and it rained quite a bit yesterday here <laughs> uh, where i live um and on and off it rained all morning i checked the, check the weather and yep yeah, still raining so oh you know it's not been too bad when it, when it next stops i'll go out and i'll probably get rained on a little bit but it'll be fine so i go out for my walk about halfway around it didn't stop pouring down. Oh my god, I got tra- I mean, most it rained all day by that point, like mid afternoon or something. Oh my god! So eventually, I managed to get home. I mean, it was just, typically where I was. There was no trees or anything to hide under, no, of course and not. whatever bushes I could find, it was wasn't providing much protection at all. So uh, finally, managed to limp home in my wellies, covered, you know, just completely drenched head to toe. And uh, as I walk up to the house, it stops raining. Mm, I'm like, perfect. fuck you, fuck you, weather. <laughs> Well, at least you were wearing wellies. That helps. Well, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, honestly, I have to wear wellies. Honestly, the fields and things I walk around around my house. Oh my god, <laughs> I couldn't not wear wellies. Yeah, the weather here has been crazy like that as well. Like someone just flips a switch and it's just bucketing it down with rain, yeah. and then it just stops again as well. Like just maybe ten minutes ago, it sounded like a tropical storm outside my office. I was gonna have. To, I thought I'm gonna have to start by apologising for the rain and the wind. And now it looks like a sunny <laughs> summer's day outside. It's ridiculous. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I got caught in a similar situation. I took my dog for a walk yesterday and I was like looking out and it looked a little bit cold, but not too cold. I thought, mm, should I take a coat or should I take a waterproof? I thought, no, I'll take a waterproof. It's it's not too cold. And at exactly the halfway point, the heavens <laughs> opened. <laughs> oh, no. It was wind. It was rain. <laughs> Joan was oh. very unimpressed with it. <laughs> I was going to say, how did Joan cope with that? Yeah, she, fun. she wasn't happy. She didn't enjoy it. <laughs> She kept looking at me like, what have you done? Why have you brought us out of this weather? This is ridiculous. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, we, we, we've we got like a, a big park outside, uh, not outside, but that, just down the road from our, from our house. Yeah. And normally we do like a lap around the whole thing, um, around the edges. But instead I cut just straight through the middle on the way back. Just, <laughs> straight for the car. quick as I could back home. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> Wish I'd done that. Honestly, <laughs> maybe looked at the weather a bit more closely. I don't know. <laughs> well, it looked lovely and sunny when I left. It was. It's like just like I said, just flipping a switch at the moment. The weather is so yeah, bonkers. Yeah. And when it's pretty, sunny, pretty it's mad. actually it's actually warm as well, considering it's November. It's yeah, really no, it is bizarre. mild. Absolutely. That's the other thing, right? So, so I, I don't know. If I, think, I think I did tell you this last week, but uh, I basically refused to turn the heating on until it's December because, well, well because, yeah. because reasons. Because then you'll have to pay money. Well, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So, so, so yesterday after I was completely drenched, I might have mentioned it, uh, I decided to turn the heating on because even though it was really mild, and it's mild again today, everything was soaked. So- so my jacket, I I didn't really pay much attention to my jacket. I bought it a few years ago, and I thought it was kind of waterproof. It is not waterproof at all. <laughs> it's got this like I don't know, like woolen lining or something. It's quite 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 padded lining. Yeah. That all got drenched as well. <laughs> so yeah, like you, I've now gone online and bought a waterproof jacket. I'm not going through that hell again. Yeah, my my dog walking jacket is um my barber jacket, which I bought as a thirtieth birthday present to myself. Oh, nice. No no piece of clothing has ever kind of taught me that lesson of buy nice buy once kind of thing mm-hmm. buy cheap buy yep. multiple times because it, it looks it looks brand new it, it works exactly as it did before nothing's you know like none of the buttons are broken fallen off the zips great and it's still so waterproof it's amazing yeah but i think even even that would have struggled in the amount of rain that i got so <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> they went with the waterproof proper option <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, no, otherwise we'll carry on, really. Um, I played some Among Us yesterday with some friends. Nice. Which was great fun. Were you brutally murdered? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, I was. Quite a number of times. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> there was one point where... Um, I don't know what, I can't remember the exact details of it. Basically, I was innocent. Of yeah. But I really was innocent on this occasion. And uh, just started, obviously, everybody was questioning everybody else. And, and I, I talked about where I'd been and what I'd done. I literally was, was innocent. I was a crewmate. And, and so everybody seemed to agree this. And then the last possible minute, Rory goes, yeah, no, it's definitely Chris. Let's vote for him. I think he was joking. The trouble is, everybody voted for him. Like, you're idiots. You're absolute morons. You've just killed an innocent. You don't know who it is. You've just killed an innocent. You just, you just have one of those faces, Chris, which is so satisfying to kick out of an airlock. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> uh, you know, who's got to have a talent, I suppose. <laughs> uh, yes, we've we've unofficially decided that some tech, t- uh, some of the good tactics that we play in our group are first to try and kill Rory and Anthony, who are the, the yes, cleverer players. They are, and then try and keep you alive for as long as possible, and then throw suspicion and blame at you. Because anytime anyone <laughs> questions where you were, you can say, "Yeah, but we haven't heard from Chris yet. What's Chris been doing?" And I was like, "Yeah, what has Chris been doing? <laughs> What's he been up to? Where's he been?" <laughs> I haven't seen Chris yet. It must be him. Let's get him. <laughs> Invariably, my, my play style is kind of wander off on my own. Yeah. So it really doesn't help when I'm like, where have you been then? <laughs> well, I was on the left side. Oh, well, the left side was the body was. Clearly it was you. Like, no, I wasn't. I was just on my own. Well, you yeah. can't prove you didn't do it. Well, no, but nobody else can either. <laughs> you're, like, you're like a get-out-of-jail-free card when there's a lot of heat <laughs> on you. You can quickly push them to over to Chris. <laughs> yeah, but never mind me. Let's talk about Chris. What's Chris been doing this time? <laughs> Not wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that was great fun, yes. I got brutally murdered quite a few times, and uh, and uh, and then did, did a couple of good uh, good rounds of the imposter as well. But uh, yes, like you mentioned, Anthony and Rory, I definitely <laughs> I make it no I make no uh, no no secret of the fact that I try to murder the pair of them as soon as the round begins. Yeah, if I'm yeah, uh, yeah. the imposter, it's the only they are too clever for their it's own the good. only sensible play. You've got to get rid of them it as really soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. They're like a pair of bloodhounds. Those two. Yeah, they're so, far yeah. too clever for their own good. <laughs> exactly, gank them both. <laughs> <laughs> Which does kind of mean that it usually is me if they have died quickly. <laughs> but, you know, I'm okay with that. It's worth it's worth it. Take that hit. It is, it is, it really is. <laughs> did you check out any of those YouTube channels I sent you? I did, yeah, the no beans one. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's that was so very... funny, isn't it? It's <laughs> so funny. When you compare it to the American style of play, it's oh, just no. hilarious. It is. And it, it, because obviously they're Welsh and Scottish and I think Eastern European as well. <laughs> the guy has to put like subtitles on each yeah. of them talking. <laughs> Imagine not many people understand them as they're shouting at each other. But also, they're <laughs> screaming into the mic, so it's distorted as all hell as well. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. When they get so angry with each other. <laughs> It's so funny. and blinding, it's very funny, yeah. I did uh, like it. Yeah, when you bounce between those in the American videos where it's all, oh, yeah. all apologies for, oh, I'm really sorry, but I think I saw this person kill this person. Oh, I'm not sure. I think I saw this person. And the other one's just screaming into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Slamming in one of the yeah. ones I saw recently. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> they've been playing for a few hours and got really angry with each other. Yes. Oh, it's so funny to some, watch. Some of the other people um, in the group put up like just the full um, stream from when they've been playing, and they're like four mm. hours, five hours. So oh, you can man. imagine tensions are a bit frayed by that. Nerves <laughs> <laughs> are a little bit on edge. Yeah. <laughs> We we played last last Sunday night, last time I played, and I had a terrible night's sleep that night. I was, like, so on edge and so, so like, stressed out. <laughs> it is really stressful when you're the imposter, though. Yeah, it's horrible. I have to really, like, pause and take a couple of breaths to, like, calm down, because my initial reaction is just panic when I'm the imposter. <laughs> I run off and do I something did, crazy. I did do that yesterday. I... <laughs> I ran around to the. We're all playing the uh, the sort of spaceship level, so you've got like navigation weapons on the right hand side from where you start in the canteen. And uh, I ran right and ran into. I think it was weapons where a vent is when you can vent as a uh, as an imposter, which well, obviously none of the crewmates can do. And so I jumped into this vent, thinking, "Oh, ha ha! I'll hang here for a minute while they all run round, and I'll pick off the last one who comes through." And then it was like it was like bloody Piccadilly Circus. I tell you honestly, <laughs> left and right they were coming. I was like, "God damn it! I want to get out of here!" <laughs> so I thought finally I managed to jump out, and as I did, Johan ran round the corner. Like, oh for Perfect. God's sake! So I chase him to the button in the canteen <laughs> to cue, but he gets there first because, of course, otherwise I'd have killed him. <laughs> then he obviously immediately blames me of jumping out of a vent. I'm like, no, I didn't. It was you. I saw you jump out of a vent. Of course, I didn't believe me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Damn it! 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's good fun that gay racket. I, and, and yeah, if yeah. if people are looking for a bit of entertainment, I can highly recommend. Well, I mean, just search Among Us on YouTube. There's millions of people yeah, yeah, yeah. doing videos of it all of a sudden. But yeah, it's, it's highly entertaining. Highly entertaining. It really is. And then if you've got some friends, go go online on Discord as well. Oh my god, it's so much fun throwing your friends under the bus. Yeah, yeah. That's I think that's the best part of it because the the actual game, the actual like gameplay stuff is really oh, simple yeah, and yeah. basic. It is. It's it's really the is. accusations and the <laughs> swearing at your friends and <laughs> throwing them under the bus if you're the imposter and the stupid humorous moments that happen like when you're sitting there minding your business and your friend pops out of a vent and you have that moment where you both look at each other <laughs> yeah there's another one so, the lights were off because you could do that as a mechanic and the imposters could do they can sabotage the lights so the imposters can still see everything they could see before the lights go off but the, the crewmates which is obviously the majority of the players can only see like a small circle around them of light yeah. so they can only see a small circle around what's going on so my kill count was running down and I ran into electrical where you have to turn the lights back on and Anthony was in there so I got relatively close but I couldn't kill him obviously at that point <laughs> so I backed off I think I'm really really clever here I'll just back off wait for the cool countdown to go down and I'll kill count to go down and I'll kill him so <laughs> back off that's what I think is a reasonable distance <laughs> and then somebody obviously finds a body or I don't know calls the emergency meeting and Anthony goes Chris what were you doing electrical <laughs> I wasn't electrical yeah you were <laughs> no, I wasn't <laughs> why weren't you fixing the lights electrical I wasn't there how could I fix them well you were there because I saw you I was like, damn it <laughs> that small pool of light <laughs> yeah a, a, a popular tactic for people is to drop the lights and then you can be a bit more brazen with how you murder people because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's vision is so low I saw a great one um, a few days ago where someone lowered the lights and someone just happened to be in electrical so they fixed it almost immediately so they, they, they put like two shots and it was one guy who was in the corridor just like doing a task and another guy um, who was a murderer it was walking through the corridors and saw this guy in the corridor thought great the lights are out I can kill him and as he went to murder him the lights came back on again <laughs> So from this, from this sort of crewmate's point of view, the lights just suddenly come on as his mates just ganking him in the corner. <laughs> it's like, hmm, I wonder who that was. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's some brilliant plays you could do with that game. Like you say, it's really simple. I mean, the, yeah, the whole game yeah. is very simple, but uh, simple puzzles and things. But, oh, it's so stressful. <laughs> one of them is like, you've got to do, like, um, got to count from one to ten, like, press the buttons one to ten, and they're obviously in random order. And I was a little bit drunk last night. <laughs> I think I failed, like, three times. I was getting so stressed. <laughs> Such a, clicking the wrong button, it resets the whole puzzle. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> And somebody calls on the emergency meeting and stops me from doing it. I have to go back again. Oh, oh no! Yeah, and a few of our evenings, I've I've had a glass or two of whiskey as I've been playing, and I'm not I'm not sure it made it better or worse. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it intensifies the experience. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe that's why I had the bad dreams. Maybe it was the whiskey yeah, and, and, and the mongers combined. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Well, talk, talking of games, I um, I've um, I ventured out of the Apple ecosystem this week. Ooh, you'll be amazed to hear I'm often accused uh, of only ever buying Apple products, but I do I do check out other stuff. Um, <laughs> and because I have a YouTube Premium account, I opened YouTube the other day, and Google said, "Hey, we'd like to send you a Stadia controller. Would you like one for free?" Oh, really? Oh, wow! So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure, fine." And so those who aren't familiar, Stadia is Google's gaming. Um, I suppose streaming service. Yeah, yeah. basically, it's it, yeah. They have the servers with all the games on, don't they? And you have a yeah. controller and on your TV or your phone or whatever. I think it's your phone, and you can play a bunch of different games. I think is it like a monthly fee or something? Yeah. So, so the offer was that I had to sign up for a week's trial, and then uh-huh. after that week, it was going to be eight ninety nine a month. Um, right. But I could cancel any time. And yeah, you, you basically you can play it on anything. You can play it on your phone. You can play it through a Chromecast, and you can hook a controller up if you want. And it doesn't matter what you're playing it on because the game is run on a server somewhere in one of Google's many hundreds of millions of server farms. And so, yeah, I thought I'll give it a try. And it turns out it was a Stadia controller and a Chromecast Premium all in one box together. So I got both of those for free. Oh, my God. I love the way I've got a Chromecast. I love it. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, yeah, I, I've I've always been interested by them, but I've never had a reason to buy one. Mm. Um, so I thought, well, if they're going to send me one for free, yeah, why not? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I, I opened this thing up and I thought the Chromecast was really cool. Like it came in like um, it, it's got like a tiny little HDMI cable on this like puck thing, like a little circle. Yeah, and the, the HDMI cable's got like a little magnet that sticks to the back of the, the, the puck when you're traveling, which I thought was quite cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. And, and so that's, I've just plugged that into the back of my TV in my study. Mm-hmm. And I plugged that in and it said, if you've got the Google Home app, which I do because I've got Google Home devices, just open that up and it'll do it all there. And that was really easy. So I thought, oh, cool. This, this is off to a good start. Yeah. Then, then I moved 
down to Stadia. <laughs> and as part of the order process, I had to sign up for everything before it would send me the, the stuff. Sure. So I, I had all, all my Stadia stuff, and it was all linked into the Google thing. So on the Google Home app, it's like, here, download the Stadia app, and then pr- proceed here to install Stadia. So fine, okay. Go through all that, and it does all that, and it sees the Chromecast and everything. And the Chromecast is showing like a Stadia screen now, saying, press BXB up on your controller to pair your controller so i'm like okay fine mm-hmm. so i <laughs> it, it, the controller looks just like any other games controller yeah except it's got all these weird like google buttons all over it which don't really mean anything and like a big button in the middle with the stadia logo on it and so the the app tells me to push and hold it and it will start vibrating and turn orange or something so it does that and so then the phone connects to the controller and you t- you, you connect the controller directly to your wi-fi which is a, right. bit, a bit weird so i did that and it said okay fine you can it's connected to the wi-fi so now follow the instructions on your stadia screens okay fine so do that and i like i push the buttons and nothing happens <laughs> and i push the buttons again and nothing happens so i think oh that's weird oh, no. I went, and i thought okay i wonder if i've just waited too long and i need to like restart the chromecast but the chromecast yeah. doesn't have a remote or anything so i'm like well how no. the hell do i restart it so i go back to the google home app and the google home app's like okay yeah i, I can see your chromecast but it's not connected to the same wi-fi network as you and i'm like well how is there only one wi-fi <laughs> network in the house <laughs> <laughs> Because the, the Chromecast is telling me it's connected to the internet and everything. Yeah. So, okay, fine. What the hell do I do here then? And then eventually it decides that it is actually connected to the right thing. So I, uh, And then and then um, my <laughs> the Stadia controller just like starts vibrating randomly. But not, not like a rhythmic, like, like I was in the middle of a game of Call of Duty or something. And I was being shocked. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? So eventually I restart the, the Stadia controller and re, and reboot it. And then the Stadia app says, oh, we found the controller, but it's not connected to the same Wi-Fi network you are. And I'm like, what, what Wi-Fi network are you connecting to? It's found your neighbour's one. I was there for about half an hour trying to get this oh thing God. to connect to the Chromecast. And all the all the advertising everywhere talks about how the Stadia is great because you don't have to download games, you don't have to do patches uh, and updates. You just turn it on and off you go. Yeah. And I'm here like half an hour in, so we're trying to get the fucking controller to connect to with the, the controller. <laughs> And so finally, after like 45 minutes, I get the whole thing going. Oh my god. Because it's a pro account, you get access to a certain amount of games for free. Mm. And then there's like a store where you can download games and pay for them. Sure. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not going to buy one. I'll just try one of the free ones. Yeah. So I tried um, PUBG. Do you know this one? Like Player Unknown <laughs> Battlegrounds. It's one of these like Battle Royale yeah. Fortnite style games. <laughs> so I loaded that up um, and it, it, it ran pretty smooth. There was like a little bit of a delay between me like pushing the control in the moving but very very slight uh-huh. but the controller was so like light to the touch and the whole point of the game is that you're supposed to like sneak through and the slightest touch onto the trigger buttons would fire my gun to <laughs> 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 sneak through this jungle Not very sneaky with this massive machine gun and i like dum 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 bang 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 I was like, fuck shit <laughs> and i'm thinking i'm being shot so i'm like spinning around looking <laughs> I see my ammo's gone down. So I'm trying to stick through the bloody woods shooting my machine gun randomly every every couple steps. (laughs) And of course, that attracts everybody in the area to come and kill me. (laughs) So I'm trying to walk into this building and there's just a guy there in the door with a shotgun. He just shoots me in the face. And I'm like, right, well, that's it it for me then. So (laughs) so I quit the program. Um, And then I I thought, okay, no, I'm I'm just, I'm not going to make use of this. This is is not for me. Mm. So I then opened up the Stadia app to cancel my pro membership. And it it was, in their defense, it was pretty easy that you just like open the thing and there's like your account at the top and it's the subscriptions and press here to cancel. But then it gave me these most passive aggressive messages ever. It's like, (laughs) are you sure you want to cancel pro? I'm like, yes, I'm sure. Okay. Would you select from the following why you're cancelling pro? It's things like, <laughs> I don't like good games. I don't want 4K quality. <laughs> I have terrible taste. Yeah. I don't enjoy fun. <laughs> I don't like this amazing service. I'm grey, really. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i now have a google chromecast plugged into my tv which i'm not really sure what i'm going to do with but that bit was really nice i, I like that that was really yeah, quite, no. quite smooth and flawless but i have no idea what i'm going to do with a stadia control <laughs> <laughs> put it in the drawer maybe yeah probably <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I love my. I've had a Chromecast for years. I absolutely love it. And I don't know if you get like a um, remote control with yours, but I don't. I have like it's just with your phone basically. Yeah, no. So yeah, all sorts of services like Netflix, Amazon, BBC, whatever. They all have like a Chromecast icon, and you can just cast up your your thing to your TV or yeah. whatever it's plugged into. It's, yeah. it's a fantastic. I love it. Yeah, I because I've got the TV in my study. Um, I don't really have anything plugged into. It. I'm just using like the smart TV stuff, which is okay. But it's, oh yeah, but it's a bit slow. Oh, so having it's having, rubbish compared to, to yeah. Chromecast. Trust me. Yeah, having the Chromecast would be much nicer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Just throw that Stadia controller away, I think. <laughs> I think it said this whole pack was something like £90 or something. Yeah, and, and so they, it's not cheap. And they sent I it mean, me for free with free next day delivery as well. Blimey. They must be very uh, keen to, to get that out of people's hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming, <laughs> not doing very well with it. I'm assuming they've not got many people signed up to, to Stadia no. Pro if they're doing that. Yeah, if they're handing out free equipment, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Free free cast. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> no, totally. But yeah, apart from that, I don't have a really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apart from my my brief career in PUBG, where. <laughs> 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 the worst stealth player in the world and got my head blown off with a shotgun. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I haven't played uh, online shooters for quite as many years now. Um, but uh, when I did, I always used to play on computer because obviously mouse and keyboard much better to yeah. aim, <laughs> shoot. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not a controller. No, this, this controller <laughs> was, anyway. It was a touch sensitive for my playstyle. <laughs> Just randomly shooting off into the, into the, the air. Shooting. <laughs> The first time it happened, I shat myself because everything was so quiet. There's bloody machine gun fire. And I was so distracted, I didn't realise it was my own machine gun that was firing. Maybe you're not cut out for war, perhaps. No, no, I don't think so. I think Among Us is much more my speed. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like yeah, But Among Us is definitely for me. <laughs> a really kind of big, big style shooter. And keep Call of Duty as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit easier that way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, all right. Shall we get on with it then after we've let's, had let's a 20 it. odd minutes of waffling away about not famous? <laughs> Sure, why not? Do you want to go first this week? Yeah, why not? All right then. So last week, I found out about Sidney Riley, a man who was called the greatest spy in history, and he inspired Ian Fleming to create James Bond. Now, for all of Riley's inspiring tales, he seemed to me, at least, to be a con man. <laughs> at the very, very base of it all. <laughs> a very capable and exciting con man, but a con man nonetheless. Which got me to thinking, who was the greatest con man? And let's be fair, these people are always usually men, aren't they? Mm. To have ever have lived. Well, I did my best to find out this, um, as this week on the internet, I learnt about a man called Count Victor Lustig, who amongst many other exploits, managed to sell the Eiffel Tower to some unsuspecting marks in 1925. Ooh, fantastic. Who was Lustig? Well, let me tell you about Count, and I use the word in quotes here, <laughs> Count Victor Lustig. Lustig was born on the 4th of January 1890 in the Austro-Hungarian village of, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this, Hostin. Hostin? Hostin, I don't know, Hostin. <laughs> <laughs> which is northeast of Prague. The village is apparently built around a Baroque clock tower and sits in the shadow of the, oh God, Korosk Mountains in the modern-day Czech Republic. Now... <laughs> I'm so good at these uh, foreign words. Uh, I'm sure Hostin is a beautiful um, town, but as you can imagine, of such a place in the 1890s, Lustig wasn't born to a wealthy family, no matter what he later claimed his father um, being the town's burgomaster or the mayor. In fact, uh, it's been found that in, in, in prison papers that he later wrote, uh, more on that obviously later in this episode, that he described his parents as, quote, the poorest peasant people. Oh, lovely. And they lived in... Yeah, quite. Charming. And they lived in... <laughs> And he, and he and they lived in a grim house made of stone. So yeah, I mean, eighteen nineties uh, modern day Czech Republic. Yeah, I mean, you know mm. they're not going to be wealthy. It's going to be a hard, hard life. Yeah, it sounds like he had a lovely childhood. Yeah, absolutely, pretty, pretty rough, I would say. Perhaps unsurprisingly, he also claimed to he um, he stole to survive, um, but only from the greedy and dishonest people. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's completely fine, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> So suffice to say, Lustig was born into a poor family, but he had no intention of staying that way for the rest of his life. As he had written, uh, and and has been subsequently learnt by those who tracked him and his underworld associates, Lustig was indeed involved in many criminal activities during the early 1900s when he was a teenager. He climbed the criminal ladder, progressing from panhandler to pickpocket to burglar to street hustler. And by the time Lustig reached adulthood, and honestly back then that could have been 16, I'm really not sure (laughs) of what I've read... (laughs) (laughs) He... <laughs> <laughs> 
had perfected every known card trick and he could make a deck of cards, quote, do everything but talk. Ooh. Yeah. Within a short time, Lustig moved to performing his first cons on board transatlantic ships that sailed between New York and the Atlantic ports in France, where he targeted first-class passengers to part them from their money. Now, he must have been um, very young. <laughs> That's all I can think, because like I say, I couldn't really find out much about his ages here. But he, he seemed to get away with it, um, so I don't know how, but yeah, clearly he was very... He, obviously, he's very charismatic. He must have been. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Perhaps he wasn't successful. I'm not really sure. Who knows? I, I, I don't know how he funded these trips on these ships. I, I don't know. I have questions. I couldn't really find out the answers. <laughs> Maybe he managed to get, get some money out of these first-class passengers to pay for the ticket and then go for the next trip. I don't, I don't know. There's yeah. all sorts of quite, you know, unknowns there, really. Conned himself from one trip to another. Yeah, pro- probably, most likely. One scheme amongst many um, that, he, that he chose to employ was to seek investment in a non-existent Broadway production that he was said to be organising. <laughs> Because obviously, that's the, you know, you've got first-class passengers. That's what they want to be involved in. Yeah. And from an early age, he seemed to know what rich people like. But this time on the ships did come to an end when World War One broke out. And obviously that stopped all civilian traffic across the Atlantic. Um, so he was uh, forced to, to, to uh, stop doing that. Now, I, I, don't, I haven't written this down, but... And I say all kinds of these early parts of his life are very shrouded in mystery. Let's say, um, and 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 he didn't fight in the war, even though he was in Paris. So he must have been like I don't know a war profiteer or something. He never talked about it, and nobody seems to know what he did. But yeah, to not to be relatively, you know, to be of the age where he would have been conscripted, um, and get out of it somehow. Yeah, he obviously got out of that, yeah. and, and obviously managed to find a way to make money at the same time. So mm, who knows? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to, what, what happened there. But like I. Said, say everything in Lustig's early life seems to um, not been very well documented so I'm kind of assuming his age is here a little bit but by let's say 19 he took a break from his studies in Paris and decided um, he was having a good time having a good time gambling was a much better way of spending his time <laughs> it was at this age he was having let's say relations with a woman whose jealous boyfriend uh, ended up giving him a two and a half inch scar on the left side of his face obviously some sort of fight broke out he obviously was found uh, doing something he shouldn't have been doing perhaps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say honestly it sounds like he was lucky to get away with his life from that fight because obviously two and a half inch scar is pretty goddamn big scar yeah, it's nothing to nothing to laugh at is it really no not really um, and especially when you think that he was just five foot seven tall and, and weighed <laughs> yeah weighed just 63 kilos so he wasn't there wasn't much of him so yeah I'd imagine that fight uh, he, he didn't come off well but no. then obviously he escaped <laughs> Anyway, he must have realised that after World War I, Europe was on its knees. But America was having a whale of a time as it was entering the Roaring Twenties. Lustig's first known scam in the US came in 1922 when, using the name Robert Duval, he contacted the American Savings Bank and offered them $22,000, some $340,000 in today's money, in World War I bonds. Now, these bonds were also known as Liberty Bonds and he was offering the bonds for a ranch. Now, of course, he had no interest in the ranch itself but it was all about the additional sort of side deal where he tried to sell the bank ten thousand dollars of liberty bonds on top of the um the, the money for the ranch yeah um to quote um to quote cover his operating expenses because <laughs> <laughs> obviously you need ten thousand dollars to cover your operating expenses well, oh yeah. my god yeah yeah only when it came time to do the deal and they exchanged the bonds and the cash and the deeds he used this famed ability to switch envelopes and left the bank with nothing so he basically did sleight of hand gave them <laughs> Made it look like he was giving them envelope with the with the money with the bonds in wasn't at all just took them back. <laughs> that that's ballsy. Good lord. Yeah, yeah. It re- it really was. <laughs> so if that wasn't impressive enough, what comes next is pretty mad. The bank obviously, I mean, really wasn't happy that they'd been swindled like this. So once they found that out, which must have been pretty quickly after he left the building, um, they hired private detectives to track him down and bring him back to justice. Now, these private detectives did their job. They did just that, and they did find him. Now, it was, again, with Lustig, you never really know where he was, but apparently it was either Kansas City or New York. I mean, they're not close together, but apparently it was one of those cities when they found him. <laughs> <laughs> but Lustig managed to somehow convince the bank that if they pressed charges, the resulting story would lead to a loss of confidence in the bank and it w- the run would ruin them. <laughs> so, so not only did he convince them to drop all the charges against him, but they also got him, got them, sorry, got them to pay him an extra thousand dollars to say silence. Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine that conversation? <laughs> He must have been running rings around them. Yeah, good God. (laughs) 
so, so yeah, so a little while later, Lustig's next con happens, you know, sometime in the early 20s, a bit later, again, don't really know when, uh, but he turns up in Montreal in Canada. Now, in the city, he um, he finds a pickpocket, and he gets his pickpocket to steal somebody called Linus Merton's wallet. Now, Merton was a banker, and obviously clearly money, and obviously he'd done his work, he'd worked out who, who, who you know, the sort of uh, the moneyed uh, bankers were in the city, so he found this guy, and in order to get uh, Merton's concept, uh, confidence, Lustig turned up on his doorstep with the wallet that obviously he claimed he'd found on the street. Nice. But it would have been actually been pickpocketed from him earlier in the day. Impressed by Lustig's honesty, Merton invited him in, um, and well, obviously Lustig managed to kindle a friendship from that point onwards. Very, very charming. <laughs> <laughs> Over a course of a period of time, Lustig relayed a scheme to him, uh, to Merton, that he that he wanted to exploit, but he claimed he didn't have the capital to do so, which is where obviously the banker came in. Convenient. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, shocking, you know. How how, how lucky this man found your wallet for you. <laughs> Some people just are so greedy. <laughs> so Lustig claimed that he had a cousin called Emil, and Emil worked at a local betting shop and had a place um, had placed a tap on a telegraph wire delivering the results of races, and he was able to uh, relay those results um, with a vital minute before the res- obviously the official result was announced, mm. and therefore you could place a bet and, and get the get the winnings. That's guaranteed, basically. So as with any good con, Lustig let Merton place a few small bets, which obviously they let him win. Now after this. Lustig claimed that Emil had to go on, had to leave the city. So, knowing he wouldn't be able to carry on with this money-making scam, Merton, obviously, I guess, with some some making on, I'd imagine, <laughs> placed a final bet for thirty thousand dollars, almost four hundred sixty-five thousand dollars in today's money. Jeez. So, a pretty big chunk of money. Yeah. Now, obviously, Merton never saw Emil or Lustig or his money ever again. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, <laughs> yeah, no, we're all shocked. I'm sure. <laughs> no more shocked than Merton was. <laughs> And the, the worst thing for Merton, well, because obviously he was trying to break the law by by, um, by getting these results from the, tele, the tap telegraph wire, he couldn't go to the police either. Nice. So Lustig completely got away with it, <laughs> and got on the got on a ship and headed to France to continue his career to, um, with a career defining con. Now Lustig um, is known, if you search for his name, he's known as the man who sold the Eiffel Tower. Now this might seem crazy to us in 2020, but back in the mid 1920s, France was obviously broke. Mm. World War I um, was incredibly expensive and the Parisian authorities had deferred a lot of maintenance on the Eiffel Tower. Uh, so it was it was well known in the city that the landmark, um, although it had been built in 1889 as part of the Paris World's Fair, it was only supposed to be a temporary structure, um, and so they were supposed to pull it down. And obviously, with the amount of um, deferral of, of maintenance they've been doing, they, they 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 you know it was well known in the city that it probably was going to go at some point. Yeah. Do you know it was absolutely hated when they first put it up? Yes, I did read that. I didn't know that until today actually, but I read that proper proper Parisians said it was like an eyesore. Yes, that's like it. A yeah, scar, yeah. a scar on the face of Paris and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, there was a- absolutely. There was a very famous um, food and restaurant critic at the time who declared that the restaurant inside the Eiffel Tower was the best restaurant in Paris uh-huh. because it was the only restaurant where you could be guaranteed to not see the Eiffel Tower if you looked out the window. <laughs> oh, wow! I didn't know that. That's incredible. But yeah, I know that I, I read that a lot of sort of artist um, types that obviously were, were, were sort of protesting against it. Mm. it was like, say, an eyesore on the city skyline. Yeah. It was a horrible thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think during the um, during the First World War, obviously, Parisians kind of um, took it to be a, a badge of honour. You know, it was their, it was their thing. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, they, That's they, amazing. Um, they said the same thing about the glass pyramid outside the Louvre when they first put that up as well. Oh, really? Yeah, they also said incredible. that was a scar on the face of Paris. Oh, incredible how, how opinions change over time. Yeah, well, in, slowly in France is how opinions change. Particularly <laughs> 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 of taste yeah. and art ain't, and stuff like ain't, that. Ain't that truth? <laughs> But, but yeah, so, so back, back to the Eiffel Tower. But yeah, eventually the, the prison authorities decided that they would keep the Eiffel Tower. But obviously this wasn't necessarily um, known to the wider populace at the time. So Lustig used the knowledge of the fact that you know people hated it and and um, and, and they couldn't keep the maintenance going on it to his to his advantage. Unsurprising. <laughs> Lustig got himself a room at uh, the Hotel de Crillon on the Place de la Concorde, right in the centre of Paris, and then set about his con. And I guess he must have used obviously some of the uh, monies he'd uh, got off of Merson to do this because yeah. it was a pricey old hotel he uh, put himself up in. He commissioned stationery carrying the official French government seal and wrote to five of the city's premier scrap metal dealers. <laughs> scrap metal dealers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> obviously they're, they're the people we're going to write to is the French oh, governor. That's amazing. Uh, he, he arranged for a meeting at the hotel, um, and he also took them around on a sort of, um, I don't know how he arranged this tour of the Eiffel Tower, but he managed a sort of a surreptitious tour of the Eiffel Tower with them as well. I mean, because he must have paid some people off to let them through, and he obviously did the tour himself. Yeah. And then he brought them back to the hotel, and he swore them all to secrecy, and told them the government's plan was to demolish the Eiffel Tower and to sell it for scrap. <laughs> Hence the scrap metal dealers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, this plan would cause outrage because people actually did end up liking the Alpha Tower after the war. Um, so everything he claimed had to be kept secret until the government was ready to make their move and pull it all down. <laughs> <laughs> There was to be an auction, and Lustig invited the scrap metal dealers to place uh, their bids. And obviously, the, in theory, the highest bid would win-win this, uh, this uh, scrap metal auction. <laughs> I don't know why. why. Why would you want... If you're a scrap metal dealer, why do you care where your metal comes from? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess, it's, I guess it's a big old pile. <laughs> well, suppose, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's one big pile. One big old metal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, André Poisson um, may not have had the highest bid, but Lustig, I did identify him at the meeting when he was when he obviously sort of um, pitching this idea to them all that he that he sort of um, clearly was the most the guy who was most into the idea. <laughs> he was the best mark. Uh, so he he told uh, Poisson that he had let it he'd won the, the auction, uh, and to make the concept more believable, obviously around this time corruption's kind of kind of a big thing. Everybody's you know still poor after the war. Yeah. And Lustig told Poisson that he needed to bribe in order to make the deal go through. You know to sort of uh, grease the wheels of bureaucracy, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Which obviously Poisson readily agreed to. <laughs> so, of course he did. Of course he did. So with the money for the for the um, winning the auction and the uh, bribe in hand, Lustig. <laughs> Spent no time, and he fled to Austria. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hang around when you got the money. <laughs> but whilst in Austria, he did keep a, a close eye on those papers because yeah. he wanted to see if his con had been publicised. Right, bet he did. quite, quite, yeah, quite key. <laughs> but when no news came out, and Lustig realised that Poisson must have been too embarrassed to go to the police, <laughs> he decided that he once again got off scot free. <laughs> How good is this? I was going to say, you don't necessarily want to be making a loud noise about the fact that you've just been <laughs> missold in such a way. You're like, you've just fallen for someone who's told you, told you they're going to sell you the Eiffel Tower. I know. How <laughs> I mean, stupid is that? <laughs> Most of it, I felt like a fool afterwards. <laughs> So, so Lustig um, obviously thought I got this got free therefore I'm going to do this again so so he returned back to Paris to run his run the same con once again obviously this time round he did pick a different uh, group of scrap metal dealers but because <laughs> you wouldn't go with the same group would you that would be, silly. That would be I, a bit I, brazen I, wouldn't it <laughs> Oh, yes. Slightly more pressing than going back to do it again. <laughs> but I don't know quite how what happened because I couldn't find any details. But essentially, he was found out. Um, he was he, it's when he was trying to sell it to the second group of scrap metal dealers. Now, I assume, and I could be completely wrong here, that basically, obviously, scrap metal dealers, there weren't that many of them in Paris. No. They talked to each other. <laughs> so maybe news about this got out. I don't know, really. But yeah, he was found out and he was forced to flee to, from Europe to the United States. So yeah, get the hell out of Dodge, basically. <laughs> But he did get his first uh, get his first sale of the Eiffel Tower. That's ridiculous. So, so roll forward now to the early 1930s, and Lustig decided it was a great time to get into the counterfeiting game because, mm. <laughs> of course, it is. He's got enough money got to do counterfeiting. Yeah, why not? So that's right. He worked with two men: a guy called Tom Shaw, who was a chemist, and William Watts, who was a master engraver. The three of them set about printing $100 bills <laughs> because if you're going to go hard, go you know go, mm, go hard yeah. and go home at the end no of the point, day. No point messing around. <laughs> No, that's right. So, Shaw was able to duplicate the printing process and Watts made the printing plates and obviously Lustig handled the distribution. So quite quite a good team, the, th- the three of them were. <laughs> uh, even In fact, so later later on down the line, there's a guy called Joseph Boiling and he is the chief judge of the American... Oh, I don't see this word. <laughs> numistic, numismastic, numist... Whatever. He's a specialist at authentic banknotes. Authenticating banknotes, right? So, whatever his association is, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. He's a specialist at authentic. <laughs> and he said, quote, Lustig was... Watts notes were the super notes of the era. So yeah, they were really good. They were hard to find. Um, out, you know, they were they were counterfeits. They were hard to identify yeah. that being they were counterfeits. And Lustig's gam became so successful at, um, at printing counterfeits, probably arguably too successful that they were producing over a million dollars of counterfeit currency every month. Holy shit! Yeah, that's that's a lot of currency. <laughs> 
At one point, banks in New York estimated they were finding over $100,000 of fake money every month. Oh, my God. And, and that $100,000 is equivalent to $1.9 million in today's yeah. money. Jesus. <laughs> so and that's they, just what they were finding and knowing about. Yeah, yeah, that's just that's just 10% of what they were finding, what they estimated they were producing. So, yeah, there was a lot of money every month flooding into the American economy that wasn't real. <laughs> and so you don't go up against the Amer- United States government like that and expect to get away with it. Well, maybe maybe, maybe Lustig did, but yeah. you, you don't Well, do maybe that. by I mean, that point he was probably <laughs> feeling a bit yeah, invincible, wasn't he? P- pretty much, yeah. But, yeah, no, the US government don't fuck around. <laughs> so the US Secret Service formed a, formed a task force to track him down, track down the gang, track him down, and they soon discovered that Lustig was actually behind the production of the counterfeit notes. The only problem is they couldn't actually get hold of him and track him down, because he apparently he had a range of disguises from like... <laughs> like a priest um, and one of the ones was like a vicar and then he had like a, a bellhops outfit like a, a so he could basically leave a hotel with his luggage pretending to bellhop and nobody could give, give a shit about it nice, so, nice. Yeah, he was he was pretty clever so they couldn't get couldn't get hold of him basically that was though until may 1935 when the secret service received an anonymous tip-off most likely from his mistress after she found out he'd been cheating on her <sighs> and they yes yeah, so don't don't ever do that lads <laughs> don't cheat. if you've got a mistress don't cheat on your mistress especially if you're running a counterfeit game. Yeah, when, when you've got that much Gang. to lose, it's probably not a wise yeah. choice, is it? No, you need to trust people. Don't, don't screw them around. <laughs> so, based on this tip-off, this advice, they, they tracked him down to a hotel in New York. Now, the Secret Service agents weren't totally sure when they surrounded him in the street that it was him, because he completely changed his appearance and had grown a moustache. <laughs> So unfortunately for him, though, they uh, they did find a key in his pocket, which led to a locker in the Times Square subway station. Oh. And in that locker, Lustig had stashed some of the plates and the chemicals the gang had been using to create all these counterfeit notes. Okay. So you know, that's unfortunate. That's that's hard yeah. to talk your way out of, isn't it? <laughs> hard evidence, yeah, very much. Even so, for him, even by his. <laughs> That's right, yes. Because <laughs> maybe he could have got away with it if he hadn't had that in his pocket. And uh, being such a um, such a you know a capable man, he, he might have been able to get out yeah, of it. But uh, having the hard evidence, that was it. So Lustig's story doesn't quite end there, however. Well, you know, not not completely anyway. <laughs> he he was held prisoner in the Federal House of Detention in New York City, a building the governor proudly touted as escape proof. <laughs> now. <laughs> We all know what happens when somebody sells something escape-proof or unsinkable or... Yeah, no. Don't do that. (laughs) The governor had clearly never met Lustig when he uh, he said this. Um, (laughs) The day before Lustig was supposed to go to trial, the guards obviously went to his cell to to go and talk to... You know, go and give him his food or whatever, and they found that it was completely empty. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Lustig had struck again. (laughs) Obviously, Lustig, in his time in the the, the penitentiary, had realised that the uh, the bedsheets weren't counted um, when they were sent off being washed and coming back again so he'd stolen quite a bunch of them and secretly fashioned a rope (laughs) (laughs) so he then used a uh, a pair of wire cutters that he'd also lifted from their proper obviously resting place and and he cut through a screen in the washroom he climbed out and distracted spectators but I'm guessing obviously prisoners haven't got much to do much like nowadays I suppose haven't much to do so if they see somebody climbing outside of the the prison they're going to make a lot of noise I'd imagine so he apparently he made made a bit of a a, a, a theatre of, of washing windows as he was climbing down because <laughs> <laughs> of course he did so, <laughs> he, he got down landed on his feet gave the audience a polite bow and then sprinted away quote like a deer <laughs> like a deer <laughs> yeah that's right can you imagine <laughs> So Lustig managed to evade the law for just under a month, but, you know, unfortunately for him, I can imagine, obviously he had no money, yeah. he was probably very well known in the press by this point, his picture was everywhere, so yeah, he was finding it very difficult, I think. But on the night of the 28th of September 1935, just under a month after he escaped, agents from the Secret Service and the FBI managed to find him, and they gave chase as he made off in a car. Now, for nine blocks, they raced, apparently head-to-head, I don't quite believe that in, in Manhattan, even at that time, but yeah, they, they, they chased him for nine blocks, and uh, they finally rammed his car to get him off the road because they were fed up of this shit. <laughs> managed, managed to get him over on the side of the road. They obviously, you know, smashed his wheels or whatever. Uh, pulled out their service revolvers and uh, and obviously t- took him into custody. And apparently, when when he was being taken into custody, he said to one of the agents, "Quote, well, boys, here I am." <laughs> Classy to the end. Smooth. So, yeah, very much so. So so Lustig obviously went back to jail again. Uh, went to trial, and at the trial, he was found guilty because uh, what's actually turned uh, state's evidence on him. Nice. 
Which was, which, uh, yeah, pretty much done. Because he was obviously claiming not guilty at that point. And then yeah. when Watts turned on him, he pretty much saw the uh, writing on the wall <laughs> and obviously decided to go for guilty plea, see if he'd get some less years. Didn't really help him, though, because he got, uh, he was he was given 20 years in 9- November 1935. Oof by the judge and uh, as he was being sort of led away one of the journalists at the trial overheard the Secret Service agent saying to Lustig quote Count you're the smoothest con man that ever lived nice <laughs> yep <laughs> but not smooth enough to get out of that sentence though no I was going <laughs> to say even that's beyond his ability isn't it from the sound yeah, of it yeah absolutely once you come into contact with the American judicial system <laughs> yeah ain't going to talk you about that one if they're going to go <laughs> so, to the effort of ram you off the road they're not going to give a poly <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> absolutely not. So, so Lustig was sent off to Alcatraz because obviously the uh, the state penitentiary was not enough no. to keep him. They needed to make sure he was absolutely <laughs> absolutely locked up properly this time. So they sent him to Alcatraz, but he can't have had a good stay there, unfortunately. And uh, <laughs> unfortunately, in the eleven years to December nineteen forty six that he did uh, have his stay in Alcatraz, he made an incredible one thousand one hundred ninety two medical medical requests and filed five hundred and seven prescriptions. <laughs> Yeah, he he was not a well man. <laughs> so, according to medical reports, Lustig was quote inclined to magnify physical complaints and constant complaining of real life, real and imaginary ills. <laughs> Poor guy, <laughs> he really was naffy. No. I'm not sure I would have been either, to be honest. <laughs> no, I mean, he obviously was having a grand old life before he got locked up in uh, Alcatraz. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> not, not, good, not a good time. And, and, and maybe, the, maybe some of those ills weren't so imaginary, really, because when he was finally transferred to a secure medical facility in Springfield, Missouri, doctors quickly realised that he actually was gravely ill. <laughs> and unfortunately, Lustig, he died a short while later on the 11th of March, 1947, at the grand old age of just 57 years old, oh, from either complications arising from pneumonia... Or a brain tumour. I mean, oh. maybe it was both of them. Who knows? But yeah, he wasn't a well man. And obviously, because he because he must have been such a whinger, they just ignored him. They just ignored his requests. Oh, God, yeah. that's awful. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? I mean, I imagine they probably just gave him like. I mean, obviously, it's the, it's the sort of the thirties, forties. I mean, yeah. these aren't good times of medical medica- medicine, but maybe they just gave him like uh, painkillers. Yeah. I'm not really sure. It's some paracetamol yeah. bugger off. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Get fucked. Get out of here. You're a prisoner. Shut up. So yeah, died of either pneumonia or um or, or complications of a brain tumor. So yeah, a pretty sad way to go. But when you but when you do go toe to toe with the United States government, you're only going to go going to lose at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow though, and for reasons I can't can't even now fathom. I, I did read, try to read about this, but somehow the, Lustig's family didn't actually tell anybody about his death for two years. They finally announced it on the 31st of August 1949. So I don't know why they would keep that a secret, though. I mean, I mean the government knew he was dead because <laughs> he was in their custody. So what? Anyway, there must have been some reason. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah. So Lustig might have been the world's most flamboyant con man. But do you know uh, what the clerk that wrote um, for his occupation on his death certificate when, when they were filling it out? Go on. He was an apprentice salesman apparently uh. so what a humiliating end and i suppose it does prove the truism crime never pays no. one last sick burn from the government on your way out yeah. <laughs> exactly from one some lowly clerk in the prison <laughs> poor lustig oh dear yeah so there wow. you go count victor lustig what a life though what a life yeah, what a life yeah absolutely maybe if he hadn't gone so hard at that currency character fitting he might have been all right <laughs> yeah he yeah got out pretty much anything i think jeez louise gotta go hard or go home i suppose yeah no point fucking around no point no. fucking around <laughs> <laughs> very good very good yeah last episode i spoke about the history of animals standing in elections and how ridiculous <laughs> that could be you did indeed <laughs> well it's not just animals that make elections ridiculous <laughs> humans are quite capable of doing that all on their own Ain't that the truth? Particularly when it comes to very close elections, ones where a clear winner is not immediately obvious. <laughs> Once you've asked the people for their opinions and a winner is not obvious, what do you do next? Well, if you like Donald Trump, you just claim you've won anyway. I was going to say, yeah, can you can you figure out why I've picked this topic this week? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> right now Donald's still in the you know, White House claim well, yeah. one. Yeah, no, let's, 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 let's not talk about that ridiculous. No, 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 let's just move on from him. Oh, my God. This week on the internet, I've learnt about some weird ways in which elections have been decided after the votes have been cast. A few weeks ago, you spoke about duels, Chris. Yes. And one of the duels you mentioned was between Alexander Hamilton and his longtime rival, Aaron Burr. That's right. In fact, you mentioned to me that there's a a musical about Hamilton. Well, yes, this is, of course, told in the 
musical Hamilton, which is about Hamilton's life, which I tried mm. really hard to not quote at you during the story. Really, really hard. I can't tell you how you hard that was. You did very well. Well done, Harrison. <laughs> well, Hamilton and Burr had a long history of political conflict, and as fans of the musical will know, but people who hate fun, like you, will not know... <laughs> There was one particular moment which broke the camel's back, and it came during the 1800 presidential election. Sure. This election was fought between sitting president John Adams, vice Mm -hmm. president Thomas Jefferson, and New York Senator Aaron Burr. Sure. John Adams was, to put it politely, not within any chance of winning. So the race was really between Jefferson and Burr. Right. Jefferson had a long history of political achievements, including helping with drafting the Declaration of Independence, but he was seen as aloof and distant, and a little bit superior. Yeah, not, not really what you wanted a politician not, not, not really at the time though it was, it was a, no. a bit of a put off a lot of people yes. Burr, in contrast was younger he had less in his political history but was good at not making enemies by obfuscating and dancing around issues and was a bit more of a man of the people oh, sounds like a definite politician I, I can't tell you how many song lyrics I'm holding back right now and that one may, <laughs> one may have slightly slipped through there for the Hamilton fans <laughs> anyway the race was close very close As expected, Adams did not do very well, but the Electoral College vote came down to a tie between Jefferson and Burr, so it then went to a vote in Congress. And this was in the very early years of the American government and was Mm -hmm. quite different to how it works now. The differences are confusing and, frankly, a little bit dull. But in essence, the vote was split exactly between Burr and Jefferson. Right, in the Electoral College vote. Well, kind of, the Electoral College was very different there, and everyone just got, like, two votes in the Electoral College, and there wasn't a difference between, like, President and vice president and all this sort of stuff and they went through that so they, they basically took it to Congress to, to defeat it right to, to what well, not to defeat it but to, to, to settle the election yeah and it was an absolute deadlock straight straight down the middle no one would budge either way mm-hmm. into this deadlock stepped Hamilton his party the now defunct Federalist Party would end up being key to the vote and both candidates looked to him for support Hamilton and Jefferson had both served in Washington's cabinet and had clashed fiercely during this time however when called upon to choose which candidate to back, Hamilton sided with Jefferson, believing that whilst they had fundamentally different opinions, Jefferson was at least consistent and fought for what he believed in, mm. whilst Burr would change to suit whichever way the wind was blowing. Yeah, fair enough. Jefferson had belief, Spur has none. That's <laughs> another quote. Couldn't resist, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Writing to the members of his party, Hamilton said, Mr. Burr loves nothing but himself, thinks of nothing but his own aggrandizement. Oh, what would he think of the modern day political system there, please? <laughs> well, yeah, quite at different times, eh? Oh. <laughs> Despite this support, things still took a while to resolve, and the House would need to vote on their choice of president, and it took the th- them 36 votes spread across an entire week to finally decide on a winner. Thomas Jefferson. Blimey. 36 votes to still get there. Yeah, that's that's a lot of votes, man. <laughs> in, in those days, the runner-up in the election became vice president. Yeah, I read that previously, actually. Yeah, yeah. Whoever got the most votes became president, then vice president was yeah. the second. Yeah, which yeah. is what happened, which is how uh, Jefferson was vice president, because he, he went up against um, John Adams. But Washington backed Adams because Adams was his vice president, so he was never going to win because um, Washington was Washington. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so Burr was elected into the position of vice president president but this was essentially the end of his political career because a few years later smarting from Hamilton's backing of Jefferson Aaron Burr shot and killed him in a duel while still yeah. serving as vice president which is just <laughs> bonkers when you think about it it's, it's absolutely insane isn't it <laughs> Just, just carried on. Just carried on. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think what happened was he he decided that vice president was going to be the end of him in terms of like government in in that regard. So he, I think he tried mm. to stand for the mayor of New York, and Hamilton came out against him again. And right. um, so yeah, he'd, he'd had enough because it was like three years after that election that the duel happened. So I, th- I think they continued to butt heads a little bit, but that was the one that really smarted for him. Sure. Votes by special groups are not the only way that ties are broken in elections. In an election in Virginia in December 2017, Republican David Yancey went up against Democrat Shelley Simmons. After all of the votes were counted, Yancey was ahead by 10. 10 votes. (laughs) Well, because of the small lead, a recount was automatically triggered. And as the districts finally submitted their recounted numbers, they announced that instead of losing by 10, Simmons had in fact won by one single vote. Now this would have meant, <laughs> this would have meant that Virginia's House of Delegates would have been a 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats. So the Republicans fought hard against mm, this decision. Sure. After weeks and weeks of disputes and demands for recounts, all of the questionable ballots were then answered.
analysed again, and during this process one ballot in particular was questioned. The ballot in question had a mark next to each of the politicians' names, however the mark next to Simmons' name had also had a line through it. Now, previously it had been decided that this meant the voter intended to vote for Simmons, but it was argued that this showed that the voter had made the wrong mark and attempted to recorrect it. So after much arguing, it was in fact decided that this ballot would be thrown out, right. which made the, the election an absolute tie. Oh my god. 11,608 votes for each politician. <laughs> 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 At this point, officials were forced to pull out the old law books from the state, which tell you what to do. Virginia's mm. reads as follows. In the event of a draw, determine by lot which of the candidates shall be declared elected. Wow. So, so the officials ordered from Amazon a pair of identical 35mm film canisters... <laughs> Into each film canister was placed a piece of paper with the with name of one candidate in it, and these were then placed into a blue and white ceramic bowl, which had been made by a local artist. <laughs> <laughs> and an official then pulled out the canister, and it, it turned out it was Yancey's name inside the canister. Holy crap! Can you imagine after all that it being it, it being a dead heat? Eleven thousand six hundred eight votes each. It's crazy. That's Bonkers, and then, and then oh, there's a lot draw. Oh my God, that's well, really. Other other Ooh. other states, when faced with a similar problem, have clearly decided that such a process is too quick and easy. <laughs> In 2014 in Florida, a city council race was deemed to have also been a draw, so they had to come up with a way to determine a winner as well. Mm. They went for the old classic, pulling a name out of a hat. <laughs> but... Whoever's name was pulled from the hat didn't win the election. No, what? that's too easy. That's too easy. So, <laughs> okay. whoever would, quote, win the hat pulling simply won the right to then call heads or tails for the flipping of the coin. <laughs> you follow, you're following so far. <laughs> Now, why are they making this unnecessarily complicated? Well, it seems logical that whoever wins the coin toss would be elected, right? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, it does. No. <laughs> Not in this case. Whoever won the coin flip would then get to decide if they went first or second for the final round of selection, pulling numbered ping pong balls from a bag. <laughs> It's the first two steps are null and void. They're not needed. Oh my god! So one man pulled a number twelve from the bag, and the other pulled a number four. The highest number oh. ping pong ball won, and so he was elected into the council. Isn't democracy great? <laughs> this is completely random. Like it doesn't matter. Those first two steps are pointless. Yeah, like if it was to decide who gets to call for a coin flip, you can kind of see there being there being a need to be something at the beginning, but then just to who who pulls a ping pong ball out first. <laughs> pulls the highest of a ping pong ball out of a bag i mean what i don't think it i'm sure i guess statistically maybe it's different if you go first up but it can't be much no no it can't can't, i think it can be surely it can't be oh that's ridiculous oh my god (laughs) jesus christ the differences in approach made by different states uh, fall into some incredibly perfect stereotypes (laughs) for example in alaska in 2006 an election was decided by a coin flip just a coin flip no steps before it because why the fuck would you (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But being Alaska, it wasn't just any coin that was flipped. The coin had the Alaska state seal on one side, that's the logo, not the animal, Mm. and a walrus head on the other. (laughs) 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 I don't know where they got this random coin from, but... (laughs) (laughs) They probably didn't mint it especially. (laughs) Probably, yeah. The the incumbent was allowed to call the flip, and he went for the walrus head, because of course he did. Mm, Yeah. And sadly, this proved to be the wrong choice, and he lost his seat as a result. Oh, that's going to be gutting, isn't it? (laughs) You just see the coin flip toss. Oh, my God. (laughs) And there's there's lots of other examples of, like, people doing, like, high card pull, um, rock, paper, scissors, all these sorts of things when you have to declare a tie. But don't think that such a thing is only for small local elections. I'm sure many people listening will be familiar with the close called 2000 presidential election between Al Gore mm. and George W. Bush. Absolutely. The election was so close, it ended only with a Supreme Court decision. Mm. Well, 
In New Mexico, the result was so close, only 300 votes separated the two of them. Blimey. Being presented with this problem, local government officials also consulted their legal aides, who told them that by state law, such a contest would have to be settled not by the drawing of names, but by a game of chance, (laughs) such as a single hand of poker. (laughs) What? And this, this had ha- actually happened previously. In 1988, a mayoral contest in the state was won by James Farrington, who won a single hand of poker against his opponent. But that comes down to how good you are at poker, not anything else. Yeah. And he drew to an ace high flush, which is not a bad hand, actually, to be honest. What happens if you don't know how to play poker? You know, I suppose a quick bloody lesson in it, I suppose. Oh, yeah, you're, God. In, you're in trouble, aren't you? You're in serious trouble, yeah. But... I mean, 300 votes, that's close, and it's a presidential election, it's, you know, it's important, it's very it's very close, but why not just re, 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 recount the votes? <laughs> that's far too easy. See, <laughs> if they come out, you know, similar or more, then, then that's what it is. Oh, my God. Well, when it was revealed that this was potentially how the presidential, the presidential race was going to be decided, Jesus it created quite Christ. a media storm, as you can imagine. I bet it did. <laughs> However, unfortunately, the idea of Bush and Gore sitting down to a tense game of poker was kiboshed by local <laughs> officials. <laughs> it's it's hardly likely we'll get Al Gore and George W. Bush back here for one hand of five card stud, said Denise Lamb, <laughs> director of the State Bureau of Elections. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure George W. Bush was capable of playing poker, to be honest with you. No, no, it would have been quite funny, wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, when elections are very tight, recounts or even repeat elections can occur. Mm. Sometimes they happen automatically. Sometimes one of the candidates can request them. Now I have to, I have to say this seems more democratic than it does. Doesn't <laughs> games it? of chance. It does. <laughs> However, you do need to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Just ask Conservative candidate Jerry Malone, mm. who stood for the parliamentary seat of Winchester here in the UK in our uh-huh. 1997 general election. Uh-huh. The seat was most contested between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats. The Conservatives currently holding it when the election began. And when the count was finished on the 1st of May, it was decided that the Lib Dems had won by two votes <laughs> getting 26,100 votes to the Conservatives 26,098 votes wow the count took more than 20 hours to announce which by our standards is a very very long time yeah that's people would not be put up with that no then that, that included many many recounts and discussions over spoiled ballots the, the, the lot mm-hmm. now this was a loss of the seat for the Conservatives in an election where they were being wiped out by Labour yep. under Tony Blair this was the big new Labour election yeah this was Tony Blair coming to power for the first time yeah. wasn't it? so they decided to fight the results tooth and nail. Yeah, well, they obviously wanted to keep as many MPs as they could, I guess. <laughs> yeah, every MP counts at this point. <laughs> That's right. Months and months of legal battles ensued, and eventually oh the election was declared void, and a rerun was scheduled for November. Wow. <laughs> In the second attempt, the Conservatives lost by more than 21,000 votes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't piss the people off by making them go back and vote again. They've already done their vote. They're done. The Lib Dems ran on the unofficial slogan of when the umpire gives you out, you should walk. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the most British thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, sense of fair play. Alluding to the Conservatives' refusal to accept the result, which apparently struck a chord with the voters. Oh, come on, chaps. Fair's fair. <laughs> yeah, come on. You, you're out. Come on. Off you go now. You're fun. Go on. Nip along. <laughs> yeah. British people are going to tell them exactly what they think. Get yeah, fucked. Yeah, yeah. They, they, didn't, they didn't mess around on the second time. No. As a, as a brief aside, this election also resulted in a new law being passed the following year, but not because of any of that that I've just talked about. Oh. One of the other candidates, Richard Huggett, deliberately ran in a, an attempt to try to remove votes from the Lib Dems. He did this by running under the party name Liberal Democrat Top Choice for Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping that some Lib Dems voters would get confused and cast their vote for him instead. <laughs> That's dirty tricks right there. <laughs> He also ran in the second election under the party name Literal Democrat Mark Here to Win. Uh, up until this point this was an entirely legal thing to do you could stand for any political party whatsoever Mm. but his actions led to a 1998 law which set up a register of political parties meaning that you had to represent a party on the list and couldn't just make up any old name for yourself (laughs) get on there get on the ballot (laughs) 
That's brilliant. <laughs> How many votes he got? I think he got about six hundred. So not not oh, not, not okay. nothing. No, no. It would have made a difference in the initial one. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, it's a big time. <laughs> Now, I mentioned spoiled ballots there, Mm. and I will leave you with one or two beautiful examples of this practice. If you're not familiar with the term, a spoilt ballot is one which is defined by the Electoral Commission as being marked in a way which makes it unclear as to who the voter was attempting to vote for. And generally when that happens, here in the UK anyway, is that any ballot which is not clear is put to one side, and the official will go through them with the candidates observing and decide if the ballot can be counted for either one of them or rejected. Mm. During the 2019 local elections, Voters were quite angry about Brexit, and many, many, many votes were marked with slogans such as Brexit now, we need Brexit, and we've already voted on this. (laughs) In most cases, these were rejected, but for one council election in the Cotswold, such a ballot what did decide the outcome. The count in question had resulted in an exact draw between an independent candidate and a conservative candidate. <laughs> Once it was decided the result was a draw, they took to the spoilt ballots to try and find some that could be counted. In the end, a single ballot was considered to be valid and decided the election. The voter had written Brexit in capital letters with an arrow pointed towards the conservative poli- polit- politician. <laughs> now... That's not how you're supposed to indicate your chosen candidate. No. An X usually does it. Oh yeah, it was it was pointed out that um, ballots can only be disqualified if they are not clear about the voter's intention, not because they are incorrectly filled in. Oh, okay. So it was determined that in this case the voter had wished to give his support to the Conservative <laughs> candidate. <laughs> Just marked it in quite a unique way. And then, <laughs> And so the election was won by that single vote. Wow. One vote. <laughs> now, Incredible. spoilt votes are not always so polite. And I will end with the example <laughs> of one vote, which was eventually decided to be an endorsement, perhaps not a ringing one, for the Green Party in the European elections last year. One voter in Leicester made a few remarks on his paper, which resulted in the vote being questioned and required the returning officer to, to decide to count it or not. Eventually, it was decided that by writing wank in capital letters <laughs> next to every candidate on the paper except the Green Party candidate whom they had labelled as not wank <laughs> meant that they wished to cast their vote for the Green Party <laughs> oh, I just love stayed official round to go through this <laughs> you can just put the scene can't you some guy in a suit and a bunch of politicians sitting around a table looking at a piece of paper that says wank in capital letters all over it and not wank and sitting there like stroking their chins like hmm yeah I think that counts as a vote <laughs> trying to decide whether or not that counts that's amazing wank not wank <laughs> Uh, so there we go some um, unusual ways that elections have been decided after the vote has failed that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much no problem at all Uh, (laughs) right Uh, I think that probably does it for an episode what do you reckon I reckon yeah I think so Uh, okay thank you very much for downloading this week's We Love the Internet Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode uh, we would really appreciate it if you could head over and give us a iTunes rating preferably not the word wank repeated over and over (laughs) (laughs) or even not wank we don't want that either as long as you you give it five stars I will accept not wank I'm not sure if I'll let that through, but sure, five stars is fine. Yeah, that's fine, that's fine. We'll, we'll let you get away with that one. Yeah, yeah. And we'll recognise you as a true connoisseur of the wheel of internet if you market such. <laughs> it would also be great if you could perhaps recommend this podcast to a friend or two, uh, a family member who you think may enjoy this ridiculous, ridiculous podcast that we produce every week. <laughs> so, until next time, thank you for downloading and goodbye. See you, bye. Bye.